And so basically what happens is that whenever you start something new, you are at the bottom or the base of that S and what I call the launch point. And you're gonna have the experience where growth is going to feel slow. It's actually happening quickly, but it feels slow because there's so much that is new. There's um, uncharted territory. Your brain is running a predictive model. Its predictions are inaccurate. And so your dopamine drops, your identity's shifting. So there's just all sorts of messiness that happens at the launch point of the curve. And so growth feels slow. But when you know that, then you can normalize and say, oh, it's not that I'm bad at this, it's just that I'm new at it. Then the second part of the curve is the, the fast part. So you've got slow at the launch point and you have fast. And this is where your predictive model is getting increasingly accurate. Um, you're figuring things out. Your identity is, you still have to be deliberate about what you're doing, but identity is shifting and the territory is not quite so unfamiliar. And so growth here, this is the steep, sleek part of the S. Growth here is not only fast, it feels fast. And so it just feels exhilarating. And then you reach the top of the curve. And the top is what I call mastery, which is where it flattens off and you've learned what you, you've set out to learn. You're no longer learning at the pace you once were. Growth is slow. And you start to get a little bit bored and feel like I need to do, I can be good at this, but I feel like I need to do something new. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast, where we are passionate about studying self-leadership to help you reach your God-given potential and lead at your best so that you can make your highest impact. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go make it count. Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 87 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm Cal and I'm so thankful that you're joining us here today. Today, I'm very privileged to have Whitney Johnson join us on the show. I wanna publicly thank Ryan Godfordson, a previous guest on the show for introducing me to Whitney. I really think all of you are gonna enjoy what she has to say, especially if you're someone who right now is in a season of stagnating, and maybe just coasting. We all go through seasons like that. I think this episode may inspire you to, to deliberately grow and then ultimately find greater fulfillment in this season of life. And before we jump in, I wanna let you know that we've been combing through some of our best interviews over the past couple years. These are hour plus interviews with some of the best leaders in the world. And we took these interviews and we distilled them down to 12 key concepts, 12 key ideas into a 12 page PDF. I want to give you this, go to intentionalleader.org and download this free PDF. It'll help you. You can maybe take, take two weeks, take one thought a day for, for 12 days and you'll be able to, I think, elevate your leadership and get some of these key principles, especially if you're someone who's been listening to this show for, for a while, this is a great way to review some of those key concepts from some of our top interviews. So Whitney Johnson is an expert in smart growth leadership. And we talk all about growth on this episode. She is a thinkers 50 top 10 business thinker in the world. That's <laughs> kind of a big deal. She's worked on fortune 100 companies and she's also an award-winning equity analyst on wall street. She co-founded the disruptive innovation fund with Harvard Business School's late Clayton Christensen. And we talk about Clayton, who's just an incredible pioneer in the, in the corporate space. So many of you are probably familiar with him. She teaches the S-curve of learning. And we talk about what an S-curve is, if you're unfamiliar with that. She's a frequent keynote speaker 
and lecturer for Harvard Business School's Corporate Learning. She's a LinkedIn top voice with 1.8 million followers. She's a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and MIT Sloan Management Review. And she's also a best-selling author. She wrote Build an A-Team, Disrupt Yourself, and her new book, Smart Growth, which we talk about on today's conversation. And she also hosts a weekly Disrupt Yourself podcast with guests like Brene Brown, Adam Grant, Susan Cain, and General Stanley McChrystal. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. It's brought to you by Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to help you and your team optimize your performance. We're all experiencing a shift right now in our organizations. There's the great resignation happening. So if you need some assistance to help you and your team get to a optimized state, Higher Echelon can help you do that. They can help you deal with the rapid changes, the complex and ambiguous requirements that we all have. They can help you build resilient and adaptive leaders. They can help you modernize your systems and they can help you with your technology solutions. So go visit higherechelon.com to connect with Dr. Joe Ross and his amazing team over at Higher Echelon. I want to ask you, if you get something out of this episode today, would you please take one minute and leave a rating or review? And I just learned that you can actually leave ratings on Spotify. Many of you maybe already know that. So if you are a Spotify listener, if that's your jam, would you take five seconds either right now or at the end of this interview, if you got some value out of it and just do a quick rating of this podcast, that really means a lot to me and it helps bring new leaders into this community. I really appreciate that. So, Hey, without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the inspiring Whitney Johnson. All right, Whitney Johnson, welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. So excited to have you on today. Thank you for having me, Cal. I first want to congratulate you on writing another wonderful book, Smart Growth, for those that are watching on video. Um, Such an accomplishment. So first of all, congratulations on all the hard work that I know it took to to do this. I was reading the acknowledgments. I always like to kind of go to the back and, and read through the acknowledgments and I mean, this sounds dramatic, but I almost like brought a tear to my eye just because it could, you could sense just how much of an accomplishment it is to write a book. And I could sense how much for you, it's a community effort. You had people that were helping you think through this and help you, you know, perfect some of the illustrations and your family. Um, so just congratulations. And I, I wanted to actually start, I loved in the part in the beginning, I'm just going to read it here. It says to my mother who has always modeled a love of learning and a deep desire to grow. One of my happiest childhood memories is of my mother taking my younger sister, Brooke, and me to the bookstore every Friday afternoon and her reading A Wrinkle in Time to us. So clearly learning and growing was a part of your family DNA from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your mom and just how she modeled that for you and just how maybe learning was incorporated into into your childhood. Yeah, so my mom was continually reading books. I I remember in our house, there were always lots of bookshelves and lots and big stacks of books. And as I, um, as you just read in the introduction, every Friday, she would take us to a bookstore and we would buy a new book. And I have these memories of my sister and I, you know, sitting on laying on our bunk beds and reading the answer Drew books. And so she was continually not only modeling reading, but then making it possible for us to get books in order to read. And she was continually trying to develop herself. Now, what's interesting is that 
she is of an era. She's basically a contemporary of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, where there weren't mm. a lot of opportunities for women relative to what there are now. Um, so there was this desire and this hunger that she had. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm very grateful to her because she was continually trying to improve herself. I got to ask you about this next line too. He says, then there was the copy of Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within that mom gave me while I was in college, dot, dot, dot. Tell us about that. Well, yeah. So the the reason it's interesting is that she gave me the copy of that book and I devoured it, but Mm. then I did absolutely nothing with it. (laughs) And, um, and, and then, you know, Decades later, I come across Bob Proctor, who some of you will know who he is. He very much human potential and really was Tony Robbins, the generation prior to Tony Robbins. And we're just like, this is magical. This is amazing. Where has all this information been? And the reason I had the ellipses, the dot, 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 which is like, how come I didn't read that book and take it really seriously when I was still in college? So that, that, that's where that's coming from is we don't, we learn when we're ready to learn. Yeah. So I'm curious now that you've been doing this, I mean, you've been studying human potential and growth and writing about it. How do you assess that now looking back on, on that moment of reading the book and then maybe not feeling it, it sounds like it's something that you devoured or you were excited about, but then you didn't necessarily move into implementing it or executing on it. Yeah. That's a great question, Cal. And I don't know that I have a good answer for it. I, I would say you know, they talk about in advertising where you need to see something seven times before you actually act on it. And so I wonder if it's a, it's a bit of that. Um, I also think that maybe there there was a desire to grow, but then I got distracted by my own insecurities or, you know, trying to figure out how do I... Um, you know, get married and, and make my way in the world with, with my work. And, and, you know, Tony Robbins at that point was still very new. And so it wasn't quite so mainstream to think about human potential. So it's probably a, a number of factors, but I think the, the most foundational factor is that I just wasn't ready yet. And I think that that's true with all of us. We talk about change and, um, so what are you going to do to change? And I think sometimes it's just a matter of us being aware of something and then really aware and thinking about changing. There's a lots of steps that come. So it, it's, it's in, in Prochaska, he has a model of change. And one of the things he talks about is that, um, you know, the, the, the actual changing is like step three, step four. There's the, you know, it, it crosses the threshold of your mind. Then you look at it. Then you may contemplate it. Then you may do something to change. And I think that's, that's true for many of us is that when we finally decide to do something differently, we've probably had that idea flit or be available to us a number of times before we actually decide to to act on it. Wow. So many thoughts just went through my mind as you were describing it. I was also thinking about the fact that this is your mom gave you this book, right? Your mom gave you yeah. Tony Robbins. So your mom yeah. so your presumably it's something that she values, right? So she's uh-huh. giving this to you. And I think we as parents we can all relate to wanting to give your child information uh-huh. that you know will help them. Right, but then they they read it, they you they hear it, and they do nothing with it. Um, I think, man, that's so interesting because I think it just highlights maybe the 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 need to be patient with people um, yes. that we're all kind of on our journey a little bit, um, and also that that maybe giving someone information is not lost even if it's not immediately executed upon. Um, and I think we could think about this in the leadership context of of trying yeah. to help people on their own growth 
we're going to talk about S curves and growth and what that looks like. Um, but maybe giving people information, giving them that stimulus, they may not immediately start down that path, but it may not be lost. Right. I, I agree. And, and I remember once having, um, having my therapist say to me, because we now actually are willing to talk about therapists in public, which we didn't used to do. She <laughs> said, you know, remember, it's not so much about what you say to your children, 90% of it's modeling. So mm. you think yes. to yourself, okay, I can give you a book. But as we talked about, I saw my mom read and I picked up on that. And I think it's true for us with our children and the people that we're trying to lead is it's, it's what are we modeling? What are they yeah. seeing us do? And then the rest of it is all, I think, kind of frosting on the cake. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, author speakers, Andy Stanley Olson, talks about whether or not you want to be like your parents is really a, a product of how well they led themselves. They could tell you all day, hey, do this, do that. But then whether or not you want to model them and follow them is whether how well they led themselves. And your mom, is, it sounds like, was someone who did that very well. It wasn't just, hey, I want you to be curious and learn. She's someone who's reading and, and taking you to these places, which I think is is really cool, and especially thinking about what you do now. Um, I want to ask you about disruptive innovation, and I want to start by asking about Clayton Christensen. Uh, it sounds okay. like it sounds like he was the one, maybe maybe who first introduced this concept to you. Tell us about how you first got to know Clayton. Maybe tell us a little bit about him as well, just because he's such a yeah. you know epic figure, um, and then how you came about this idea of disruptive innovation. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Clayton Christensen, for those of you who are not familiar, he, um, he was a professor at Harvard Business School. He passed away very young, um, two years ago. He was only 68 years old. And um, he is the father of what we all know as disruptive innovation. It's a term that he coined in and wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And the basic idea of disruptive innovation is it's a silly little thing that takes over the world, like the telephone did to the telegraph, like the automobile did to the horse and buggy, like Netflix did to Blockbuster, and Uber, at least pre-pandemic, was doing to cabs. <laughs> and so um, so th that's Clayton Christensen. Now, how did I get to know him? Well, I first came across him when I'm at church. Um, we went to the same church and I was intrigued. I heard him speak. He's this giant of a man. He was six foot eight and he was just so wise. I was really curious. And then I read his book, The Innovator's Dilemma. And I thought, wow. At the time I was an equity analyst working on Wall Street and I was covering the emerging markets and, and I was building my financial models and every single quarter, the wireless numbers that I was putting in my models, they were getting beaten. I was trying to figure out what was happening. And when I read Innovator's Dilemma, that was the explanatory mechanism for what was happening. And so I was just, just captivated by his work. And it wasn't too far of a leap from there for me to start thinking about, well, does disruption apply to individuals? And that's where my work started to build on his, which is to think about this idea of personal disruption, that it's not just products and services and companies and countries, but it's also people that we can disrupt ourselves. And that's actually the ultimate engine for growth in an organization. So take us to 2004. So you've, you've yep. kind of been introduced to this idea. And at that point, you had been an award-winning analyst for almost eight years. Uh, and yep. you loved it, but you felt like there was something more out there. And tell us how that concept, because the way you put in your book, I love it. You say, my current equity analyst self was the incumbent, the Goliath, to my future self, 
which was the upstart, David. So to wake up the giant, you had to disrupt yourself. Tell us about what kind of what was going on in your life there and how this idea of disruptive innovation came in. Okay. Just so you know, there's a fun play there, right? Because Tony Robbins awakened the giant within. (laughs) Clayton Christensen was often referred to as the gentle giant. Ah, got it. I I was having a little wordplay fun there. Um, Yeah. so, So here's what happened. I am... I, I've discovered this framework. I am ranked for eight years, feeling like I want to do something different. And I remember I went to my boss and I had the conversation with my boss and I said, hey, I, I, you know, I want to do something more. And my boss effectively said to me, we like you right where you are. And so he says that to me and I think, hmm, I've read The Innovator's Dilemma. This is going on in the back of my mind. I now know or I have this kernel of idea that kernel of an idea that disruption isn't just about the products. It can be about people. And so within a year, I made the decision if I wasn't going to be able to do whatever it is I felt like I was meant to do. And you don't really know. It's sort of this inchoate feeling. Mm-hmm. I was going to need to disrupt myself and go do something different. And so it was that framework in my mind. I can still remember, like I was reading the top of the page, the right-hand page, this paragraph, and I thought, I need to disrupt myself. I'm going to need to leave Wall Street. And so what was the next step for you in that journey? Well, it took about a year because the, the ideas were just sort of there, back to this idea of change, right? Pre-contemplation. I wasn't ready to do something yet. But I found myself thinking, huh, what else am I going to do? What do I want to do? At the same time, this is, I've got um, a, a number of friends who are working on some entrepreneurial ideas. I think this is the, the peak of American Idol. I think, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we did a show about soccer players in Latin America, kind of like American Idol? And we pitched that show. It didn't go anywhere, but we pitched it. And so I just had all of these entrepreneurial ideas. And so there was a little bit of a push of I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do here. And there was also the siren song of some entrepreneurial things, none of which panned out, by the way. But it was those two in combination that got me to disrupt myself and go become an entrepreneur, go move to doing something completely different and new. Was that scary for you? Because it's so. It sounds like you left a solid job that you've yeah. been doing for a long time, something very familiar, to not even a clear path. Just I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going right. to disrupt myself. <laughs> Just going to something new. Was that scary? Was it? I mean, it's, it. It seems like it would uh, be. I'm just curious what your mindset was at the time. Yeah. So I think it was very scary for my husband. Um, <laughs> And because I was the primary breadwinner because he's an academic. And I think here's what I would say, Cal. It should have been scary, but it wasn't. Mm. And I think that that I think that I was probably overly confident. Like I should have probably had a plan Um, and and thinking, well, I figured you know, again, I started on Wall Street as a secretary, as a music major, and I'd worked my way up and I'd been very successful. So I had a degree of confidence, probably overconfidence, but I thought, well, I did this once, yeah, I can do this again. And um, so so that all that being said, I probably should have been a bit more scared, but I think sometimes we need to 
not be scared or else we won't do it. Like if I'd been really scared, I don't know that I would have done it. And so there was an element of, of, uh, balancing that. Um, that being said, now when people ask me about disrupting themselves and doing something new, I strongly advise them to have some what of a plan and to be measured about it. When was your first breakthrough? Cause you mentioned you, you tried a couple things, didn't pan out. Did you have, yeah. is there a moment where you look back and you say, okay, this was the moment where I, it was clear what, what my path was going to be, what I was going to pursue. Yeah. Um, so it came in stages. So I, I left wall street in 2005 and then, um, not too long after, probably within a year or two, I had, I had already connected with Clayton and I was working with him on a number of projects at church. And then in 2007, he wanted to start a fund with his son, Matt, and asked me to help him launch that investment fund. So that was kind of in the background. Um, and then I did that for five, five years from 2007 to 2012. What's interesting is that even though you would look at that and say, this is such a plum opportunity, I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew it wasn't my last stop. Hmm. And because I had a couple of my truth tellers, because we all need truth tellers say, I don't think this is your last thing. I think you've got something else after this. And I was like, no, this is amazing. I'm, I'm doing this thing and I'm investing with Clayton Christensen. Um, but then in 2012, when I wrote an article, Disrupt Yourself, I started to have that feeling of, oh, I actually want to write about this. I want to talk about it. I want to teach it. I want to build something around my own intellectual property. And what is a truth teller to you? What is it? What does that look like in your life? Yeah. So a truth teller looks like, um, so I think of children as being truth tellers, which is they <laughs> can see, they can see your underbelly. Mm -hmm. Like they, they, they can see your vulnerabilities like better than anybody. But they're also, children in particular, are more invested in you being successful than anyone on the planet, including your, your partner or your spouse. Your children want you to succeed. And so for me, a true teller is a person who knows and sees your flaws in great array, but they just want you to win. And so they're willing to tell you the truth because they care that much about you. They love you enough to tell you the truth. That is a truth teller. And how many of those do you have in your life? Are these people that you've kind of selected? And I mean, I'm imagining these are maybe relationships that form organically. And then when you yeah. think of some of these truth tellers, you have several in your life, but how many do you have? And how is that different from say a mentor or some other category that you would give to people in your life? Yeah. So I would say, um, I don't know for other people, so I'll just speak for myself. I think my, we have two children. Both of our children are truth tellers. My husband, definitely a truth teller. I would say, um, you know, a therapist or a coach, if they're good, they're going to be a good, they're going to be truth tellers. And then um, my business partner, Amy Humble, is a truth teller. I would say that's, those are the people that come to mind mm. of who my truth tellers are right now. I, uh, to your question about mentor, I think it depends on the mentor because oftentimes with a mentor, at least in my experience, they might be a person that you connect with for six months. They advise you on one specific thing. You learn, they learn, and you're you're finished. And so I don't know that you would get to the point of 
a relationship where there's that degree of trust, where they're going to really just give it to you straight in that way. But, but again, if I'm going to stick to the main definition that I just gave you, someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth, it could be a very brief encounter with someone where they just see you Mm -hmm. and they see something about you, negative or positive, and they say it to you because they want you to win. Yeah. That wanting you to win piece, I bet, is key. Because there, there's certainly there are, there are critics out oh, there yeah. who want to tell you something that may or may not be true, but it's not really out of your best interest. It's just to be a critic, I would imagine. But th- that, that key piece of wanting you to actually win, wanting what's best for you, seems key. Um, and I noticed in your acknowledgement, I think you mentioned a couple truth tellers. And when you use that word, th- and thanks for letting me kind of follow up on that, because that, that seemed like something that I had never heard before, but I like that concept of having truth tellers in your life to help you maybe see something that you can't see at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Who are so, yours? Ooh, definitely my wife. Um, I never, that's so interesting. Cause so my daughter, my, my oldest child is, is eight. So, but she is a, I, I do. It's interesting. Even at eight years old, I feel like she definitely oh, yeah. will tell me the truth. Um, she'll say things like daddy, you're, you know, you're on your phone too much <laughs> or, um, you know, hey, it just just very honest things. But it'll be so it'll be interesting to see how she uh, develops. I have I have several friends that are really um, uh, just I would say truth tellers in my life who um, want the best, want what's best for me, love me, know me, know my strengths, know my weaknesses. <laughs> um, and then I have someone who uh, who coaches me, who I definitely feel like is also a truth teller. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's one guy in particular, he's a friend also, but I think he's also a pastor at my church. Um, he's someone that I've really opened up to about, you know, my, my struggles and my desires and all of that. And he is very wise and also yeah. someone I who I, I think it. will, will give me, give me the truth. <laughs> even, even maybe when I don't, don't want to hear it in the moment. Um, <laughs> so I want to ask you about growth and we've already talked about it a little bit, but I love in the book you talk about, you say you and I came into this world pre-programmed to progress. We have different circumstances and curiosities, but the same drive to want to grow is human, but life has a way of muffling our innate desire to learn as adults. We often find ourselves stagnant or bored at work and in our personal lives. So I want to, I want to just kind of ask more broadly about growth and what you kind of, what do you think, do, do you really, do you think everyone kind of has this innate desire to grow and kind of a two-part question, what do you think are the biggest obstacles that you see in your work to people, to people growing? I mean, if we have this desire, like why, why aren't we growing? Why aren't we, why are we stagnant? Why do we, as you say, find ourselves stagnant, bored at work and in our personal lives? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely believe that growth is our default setting. I, I think if you just look at the, the neuroscience, you know, we all have, um, we, we, what do I want to say? We have neurons and they're meant to connect. And throughout our lives are, we're just continually looking at building new neural pathways. Our brains are, you know, neuroplasticity, et cetera. So we are wired to grow. We're wired to change. 
um, and to develop. So I think that that that's our starting point. Now, the question you asked is why do people not grow? I think sometimes we don't grow because we are um, stubborn enough to think that we don't need to. But I think most of the time when we don't grow, it's because there's a fear of growing. Um, we're, we're afraid that if we try something, we won't be successful. And so we're afraid either we won't be able to do it. We won't be able to get what we want. And so instead of trying, we just don't try and, um, and we just stop growing. Fundamentally, I think that's almost always what's happened is we believe that we won't be able to do what we want to do. And so we just stop trying, we give up and then we stagnate. So yes, growth is our default setting and we don't grow because we get afraid. Mm-hmm. Have you found, do you think people are happiest when they're growing? <laughs> yes, of course. Okay. Well, I, I just, what do you think the answer to that question is, well, I just wonder because I, I think when I think about growth, sometimes it's painful, right? Sometimes yes. growth like is like, if I want to get more fit or if I want to uh-huh. you know, it's, it's, there's that initial and we'll talk more about it, but there's that point where, yes, I want to grow. Uh-huh. Um, but man, growth is going to require me to say no to some foods that I love. And it's going to require me to get up earlier and read or run. It's going to require me to do things that seemingly actually make me happy. Like it, it makes me happy to eat the foods that make me unhealthy. It makes me yeah. happy to sleep in later. It makes me happy to sit on my couch and watch Netflix. Right. So I guess I'm just wondering, like, that's kind of, I guess, maybe my question is, it, even, uh, though, okay. even though yeah, growth, yeah. sorry, <laughs> seems like, and it probably was a lazy question, but like seeming, it, it seems to me that we have this desire to grow and we want to grow. And at the end of the day, maybe we are happiest when we are growing, but to get started, it doesn't seem like that's what's going to make us happy. Yeah. Okay. Fair question. It's a great question. So, so I said that we're afraid, but you're right. There is some element of laziness. So, um, so on the one hand, we want to grow. It's our default setting. On the other hand, we really like the status quo and we know from, um, behavioral, um, uh, theory, yeah, psychology, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky that we're 2.2 times more motivated by what we lose than by what we gain. And so there is some element of, I think I'll just hang out here at the top of my S curve and never do anything new. Um, and so that goes to the question of, well, okay, I might enjoy sleeping in every day today, but over the long term. I won't be happy. I won't be fulfilled. And so it's a matter of what's our perspective. Yes, in this moment, that is correct. But that's where the executive functioning, the ability to zoom out and say, well, so what do I want long term? Um, And long term might be this week versus in the next minute. Um, and, And to your point, we've got these, actually, let's back up. We've got these neural pathways and things that are wired into us from the time that we're very, very young. So part of growth is a willingness to rewire our brain and to say, okay, I know my subconscious likes to sleep in, or I know my subconscious likes to argue with people, or I know my subconscious likes to overeat. So how am I going to reprogram my brain? Am I going to use my my conscious mind to reprogram my subconscious mind in order to get the outcomes that I want. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I, it makes me think of, of people as they get older, um, you know, yeah. you get to that, re- there's this vision of retirement as being when you do nothing, like where you, mm-hmm. you literally do only the things that you want to do. You go play golf, you go sailing, you sit on a beach, you go see your grandkids. And what I have found, and I'm curious what your research has shown, I found I, I see a lot of those people who do that for a little while, and then they get bored then they get kind of depressed, they get frustrated. So it's almost as if this life of pure leisure ends up not being good for them. Right. Okay. Thank you. You just gave all this evidence to the point that I was just making, but here's, here's something else I would add. So Bob Proctor, who we talked about a minute ago, he said, and he, he just passed away a few months ago and he was in his, I think 87, 88. And he said, he said, calm down, but don't slow down. Hmm. And I loved that because I do think that as we get older, we are trying to be calmer. We are trying to be more um, grounded. We are trying to have a greater sense of self, to be less anxious, et cetera. But what we don't want to do, and to your point of people getting depressed, is to slow down. We want to continue to accelerate our growth, continue to to develop. Um, you know, I personally want to be sprinting to the finish line of this life because that's how we're going to be happy, but we do need to calm down. And so I, I would make that distinction. Don't retire, just calm down, but keep going fast. Yeah. And that raises another, I wanted to ask you about this kind of maybe the dark side to growth and maybe that's not the best way to phrase it, but just there, there is kind of this culture out there of like hustle, do it all. You can have it all like never sleep, (laughs) you know, that, so what do you say to that? Like, how do we, certainly growth is healthy. Growth is good. We've, we talked about how it makes you happier. makes you feel better about yourself, but then there might be this tendency for some of us to just overdo it. Like we're literally, I'm never happy, never satisfied, never content, never you can just sit and be with my family or be with the people you care about. So what, what do you say to that? Like, what's the, what's maybe the healthy way to think about growth in that regard? I think what you, the quote you just gave is really helpful, but. Yeah. So I would say in that moment, um, what we're saying is that we're not actually able to be happy in the present moment. And so that's an opportunity for growth because if there's, when we have that urge Mm. of like, I have to keep going, I have to keep going, I have to keep going. There's something inside of us that's feeling like we're not enough. Mm. We're not, we're not accepting and honoring who we are and the here and now. And so I would say that when we have those feelings and most of us do, um, we need to, to do some introspection and say, what do I need to do so that I can actually be in this moment, so that I can actually enjoy my children, enjoy my family, enjoy sitting here reading a book and not feeling like it's important for me to do something else. I think another thing that uh, I think about is I'm just hearing you talk is just how growth is attractive to us as well. I think about this in like the team dynamic or leadership dynamic. I've heard John Maxwell say, you know, no one no one care like sitting he was talking about like retire he was asked the question why don't you just go retire and sit on a beach he's like well no one wants to follow me when i'm sitting on a beach like there's nothing attractive about yeah maybe i want to live like you or but there's something attractive about people that are growing that are getting better yeah. i'm i'm we attracted like to that we like momentum yeah and growth is about momentum so let's talk about the s curve um yep. I, I I had never heard of the S curve before I read your your book Smart Growth, and I'm imagining there's 
a number of listeners that maybe have never heard of it or at least unfamiliar. So can you can you just kind of introduce what that is to us and then we'll get, kind of get into to more specifics about yeah. it. Okay, let me just show you a picture really fast. Can you see it? Yes, yes. And so, and I'll also put uh, links to some pictures of the S curve for those that are listening uh, okay. in the show notes this episode. Perfect. Okay. All right. So here, here's the background. the The S curve is something that's been around for decades. It was originally popularized by Everett Rogers back in the late '60s early 60s, excuse me. And he used it to figure out and analyze how ideas are adopted, um, how um, groups change over time. And I was first introduced to the S-curve when I was working with Clayton and we were investing and we would use it to figure out how quickly an innovation would be adopted because that helped us make investment decisions. Well, the aha that I had, and it probably isn't gonna be surprising because I did this with disruption, it's not just about products, it's about people. I had the aha that the S-curve could be used to help us understand how people change, how individuals change um, over time. And, um, and so basically what happens is that whenever you start something new, you are at the bottom or the base of that S and what I call the launch point. And you're going to have the experience where growth is going to feel slow. It's actually happening quickly, but it feels slow because there's so much that is new. There's um, uncharted territory. Your brain is running a predictive model. Its predictions are inaccurate. And so your dopamine drops, your identity's shifting. So there's just all sorts of messiness that happens at the launch point of the curve. And so growth feels slow. But when you know that, then you can normalize and say, oh, it's not that I'm bad at this, it's just that I'm new at it. Then the second part of the curve is the, the fast part. So you've got slow at the launch point and you have fast. And this is where your predictive model is getting increasingly accurate. Um, you're figuring things out. Your identity is, you still have to be deliberate about what you're doing, but identity is shifting and the territory is not quite so unfamiliar. And so growth here, this is the steep, sleek part of the S. Growth here is not only fast, it feels fast. And so it just feels exhilarating. And then you reach the top of the curve. And the top is what I call mastery, which is where it flattens off and you've learned what you, you've set out to learn. You're no longer learning at the pace you once were. Growth is slow. And you start to get a little bit bored and feel like, I need to do, I can be good at this, but I feel like I need to do something new. And so you've got slow at the launch point, fast in the sweet spot, slow and mastery. And this gives you this very simple, very simple visual model to think about growth, to think about the emotional arc of growth. And when you understand what it looks like, then it helps you navigate any new situation um, and when you know where you are, then you know what's next. And so that's that's what the S-curve does. It's the S-curve of learning that helps you, gives you a model for what growth looks like. I think that's beautiful because so many of us have this idea of, yeah, I want to grow. I want to get better. I want to do something. But this, just like you said, it gives you a clear mental map of what human growth looks like. The whole book and the book lays out in more specifics and you give these different stages. But I, I can just imagine now having read this book, the next time I'm doing something new, I'm going to be able to have a image for what stage of that I'm in. 
And it's going to help me understand, okay, it's not that this is impossible, Cal. It's that this is you're exploring or you're collecting. You're trying to figure this out. Um, and I know you've interviewed Brene Brown. I know she talks about uh, effing eft. <laughs> Effing FT. So like the effing first time you're doing something, uh-huh. it's going to uh-huh. be really hard, right? And you have yeah. to kind of, and she uses that as kind of a way to, to tell yourself when you're doing something new that this is hard. This is, and, and it's, it's kind of meant to be hard. Um, so I do, I think it's a great, uh, helpful model, Whitney, and I appreciate you putting it together. I wonder, could you give us maybe a few illustrations of what this, what this looks like, maybe some specific examples just so people can take it from maybe the yeah. you know the kind of the theoretical to maybe more practical. Yeah. So um, since this is a, a, a podcast about leadership, let me give you a couple of practical ways that you can use it. So um, we have a company that we work with. It's it's called Chatbooks, and they um, turn Instagram photos into photo books. And people really like to work there. It's got a very strong corporate culture, but because people like to work there, they don't leave. And so uh, a few months ago, we had um, the CEO call me in and say, hey, can you talk to our company about this? And we administered our tool, our assessment that tells you where you are on the curve. And we found out, not surprisingly, the three out of the four senior executives were all um, in, in mastery. They were at the top of the curve. So what did that do? That all three three different outcomes or three different conversations that took place. The first conversation was the chief marketing officer and she looked at it and she said, "Oh, now I understand what's happening. It's not that I don't like working here. It's not that I don't like working for you. It's just that I'm at the top of my curve and I'm not learning and I'm not getting dopamine. I I need to my brain says I have to do something new." In her particular instance, there wasn't something new in the organization, so she went to another company, but she was able to do it amicably because it wasn't personal. Everybody just knew, oh, this is she, she needs to jump to a new curve. So that was conversation number one. Conversation number two was um, the president of the company. And so the experience that he was having is he had just been made president. He was showing up in mastery, and he shouldn't have been. So what was happening? Well... Turns out the CEO who had promoted him to president was still doing some of the president jobs. He was still on that S-curve. He hadn't fully jumped to his new S-curve. And so the president felt like he was bumping up against the CEO. So that led to a conversation around roles and responsibilities so that they were properly scoped so that the, the president felt like he actually had headroomed, headroom so that he was actually in the sweet, sweet spot not a mastery. So that was the second conversation. Third conversation was chief technical officer, also been there several years. He had just delegated some of his role, head of dev to some other people, and he was doing some new projects that were put him at the launch point, which was uncomfortable and awkward because he's supposed to be the expert because he's the CTO. This gave him a language to talk to his colleagues and say, hey, on the launch point right now. And I don't know how to do this. And this is, this is how you're supposed to feel. So he gave himself permission to be there, but it also gave everybody on his team permission. So that's how you can use it. You, again, it's simple. It's visual. It gives you a way to have a conversation around your growth. It gives you this language to talk about growth, not only personally, but with people on your team and in your organization. That's great. That's super helpful. So what is so I'm imagining you've kind of gone through the S curve 
And yeah. you kind of mentioned that the first example there where she had kind of arrived, she had arrived and she's, you know, maybe she's coasting a little bit. She's in her comfort zone. So in contrasting that with maybe how we talked about it earlier, where it's just, you're just lazy and you're just kind of sitting in a coasting, like this person had accomplished a lot. So she had, yeah. it would be really easy. You're in a comfortable space to, to stay there. So so it sounds like you're kind of you're encouraging people like even if you've accomplished a lot like you're an executive you're a C-suite like you still can't sit in that space you have to maybe look for so what would it look like let's say you're you know some leaders out there right now who are who've been doing the job for a while who who have yeah. experienced some success they've they've gotten some awards um they've been with a company for a while or with an organization for a while and they maybe if they're honest with themselves are doing some coasting uh, which can you know can probably feel good in a lot of ways, but what what what, what might it look like to to try to find a new S curve? Is that something that they're going to yeah. be looking for within the organization, maybe outside? Like, just can it well, walk us through it, maybe for that leader? Yeah, it can be either. Um, I, I think so. Going back to what what I said earlier, where we are two point two times more motivated by what we lose than by what we gain. If we're in that place of coasting. We need to raise the stakes and say, what bad thing's going to happen to me if I stay here? And what we know is mountain climbers will tell you that any altitude above 26,000 feet is known as the death zone because you're so high up your brain and your body start to die. Well, if you think about same is true for you when you get to the top of an S curve. Um, if you're not learning, you're not forming new neural pathways. If you're not forming new pathways, then pathways are dying. So your brain and your body will literally start to die if you're not learning new things. And so the, the first step is just to understand, I actually can't coast. Like I'm either growing or I'm dying. And then as you think about, okay, so what do I want to do next? There, you've got a number of options. One option might be is that you decide, all right, I actually really want to stay in this company. I want to stay in this job. I've got to figure out a way so that this isn't the summit, it's a summit. And one of the people that I have studied, his name is Gary Ridge. He's actually been the CEO of WD-40, you know, that can that mm -hmm. stops things from squeaking. He's been the CEO for more than 20 years and, and very effective. I mean, their market cap has, has increased tenfold. So you can stay in the same role, but you have to figure out a way to continue to grow and develop within that role so that you actually stay in the sweet spot. So that's one option. Another option is obviously for you to jump to a new S-curve inside of your organization or outside of your organization. But you've got a number of different paths. And it's, it's again, the S-curve gives you the language to have the conversation around those paths. So that whether it's staying where you are or doing something new, it, it depersonalizes it and it makes it just about the growth. You, you've got a language to have the conversation. Well, and I, I know we're running out of time here. I just want to encourage people to go and get the book. I love how in the book you lay out these different stages of being an explorer then there being kind of this period where you're a collector and then you start to be an accelerator and a metamorph anchor mountaineer. So you, you dive into each of these different stages of the S curve. And once you've read the book, you really have a great framework to take with you, whether you're trying to become, as I already mentioned, become more fit, read more, 
grow in your relationship as a as a spouse or a parent or in the corporate setting where you're trying to become a better leader, a better individual contributor. So Whitney, I just want to congratulate you on a wonderful book. I want you in the last just 30 seconds, tell people where to connect with you, where to find the book. And uh, I just want to, again, thank you, Whitney, for, for joining us here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Cal. So um, I think the obvious place is on Amazon. You can, any wherever books are sold, you can get a copy of Smart Growth. And if you buy it and you read it and you like it, please leave a rating or review because ratings or reviews matter. Um, and then you can also uh, listen to the Disrupt Yourself podcast. Um, and just, again, that's wherever podcasts are listened to or consumed. Um, those are two, the, the two best ways. And wonderful podcast. You've had some great guests with uh, us all, Simon Sinek, Brene Brown, which we've already mentioned, and just a lot of other just wonderful people on there. So Whitney, thanks so much for joining us here today. And uh, I'll put links to your books, including Smart Growth, in the show notes. So thanks so much. Cal, thank you for having me. Hey friends, once again, I just want to thank you for being here today. Thank you for being part of this community. Thank you for investing in your growth. I want to encourage you to go and find an S-curve. Go and find something that's new to you to help you grow. I want to encourage you to pick up her book, Smart Growth. It is, uh, Of course, there's links to it in the show notes if you want to check it out. But it's a really great map to help you understand what growth looks like. I found it to be very beneficial as someone who's really passionate about growth, about getting better, about putting myself in new situations to grow and get out of my comfort zone. I think her model, this S-curve, can be really helpful for leaders. And it certainly can be helpful for you as a leader as you're trying to help your team grow, trying to push them into new areas where they can grow and get better. Thanks so much for listening today. Let me know what resonated with you the most. Go and make a difference to the people around you today. Remember, life is short. Let's go make it count.